Servus and welcome to uh, another episode of the Pro Hockey Pod, episode five. And this week, uh, we're happy to be joined by an old teammate of mine. Uh, we went to Oswego State together, NCAA, played uh, two and a half seasons together there, and then also played uh, one year at Pro together. Funny enough, after that, uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, John Whitelaw. Uh, thanks for having me, Harzy. Glad to, glad to be here. Appreciate it. So, John, obviously, uh, you know, you're from Huntsville, Ontario. Um, obviously, I'm familiar with with Huntsville. Uh, played a couple tournaments there. One of them actually was in Junior A. Um, is that where you, like, first learned to learn to play hockey, where you first put on the skates? No. Um, actually, I mean, I, I, it's weird how as you grow up and you, and you move places where you, you choose to call home, but um, I was actually born uh, in Barrie, Ontario, which is just uh, about an hour, hour and a half south of Huntsville. Um, and uh, small, small community, actually, just outside of Barrie, Innisville, played in their minor hockey system for a couple of years. And that's uh, kind of where I first uh, learned to skate. Uh, my mom was actually a, a figure skating coach, so um, had a pretty good teacher and, and my dad, uh, you know, fancied himself as a pretty good hockey player too. So I was lucky with uh, two good coaches that were able to to get me up on my edges pretty pretty early. Yeah, I mean, your your mom for one, I didn't know that she was a figure skating coach. So that makes sense now because you always were a really <laughs> good skater, and uh, you know, obviously at a young age, anyone who can learn to like use those edges uh, younger than the other the other guys usually has an advantage. Oh yeah, no, she uh, she loves to take credit for for my skating ability. Um, and you know, much of it is, is true. She did teach me, but, uh, no, that's definitely, my dad was, was my coach most of the way up, but she always says, you know, you wouldn't have been where you were if you, you didn't know how to skate. So she takes a lot of credit for that. Shout out to Mrs. Whitelaw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you said you, you started like playing like minor hockey in the Innisfil, uh, Barry area. What was the like? What was it like back then in terms of uh, like structure of minor hockey? Like, what like was it triple A, double A? Like, how to kind of how did you grow up with that? Yeah, so I started. Um, we didn't live right in Barrie, even though like I went to school there. My parents worked there. We lived just outside of Barrie. So um, I think like a lot of small communities now, you you start in in their system. And so for me, it was with the Innisfil Winterhawks and. Um, played i guess the you know your two years of whatever it might be now tykes or minor novice um just local house league there and then um was able to make the jump i think it was minor novice to to single a and that was the highest highest level we had uh in our area and um played uh an awesome team uh, had a couple guys that ended up going to play uh, professional in, in college and it's funny when you're six and seven that's the last thing you're thinking about but when you look back now to see where guys ended up it's pretty cool and uh no we were able to to win omhas uh our first year there beating burlington your hometown uh in the finals so um you know that was a good start to to my career there with uh with them but played two years of single a and then i think once you start getting into the those adam years i i would say that's where a lot of, you know, that triple A kind of mentality starts to come in. And uh, I don't know how it really worked out other than maybe I was invited or, or 
something myself and, and one other player from our team went to went to Barry uh, to play AAA uh, with their program, which was at the time a, a very strong team, and uh, was able to play there for uh, for two years um, before getting cut. And and it's funny, it's probably the best thing that ever happened in my hockey career um, was getting cut from a AAA team. Um, and, and going down to, to play double A and, um, you know, I ended up playing double A for probably the next four or five years, uh, maybe even six. And, um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me just in terms of, uh, my development in terms of having confidence, um, you know, at the triple A level, I definitely would have been playing the same role, but at the double A level, I think I was able to develop a lot of my skills and, and abilities and confidence just because of the the roles I was put in and, and being one of the better players on the team. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much uh, all the way up through Barry minor hockey system, uh, playing for the Iceman Flyers. And, and then later, uh, when they became the Colts, uh, I was able to jump back up to the AAA program. But, um, no, all my minor hockey would have been through uh, through the Barry minor hockey system. So. You brought up a good point there, and I think a lot of people, I've talked to other guests about this too, is the, the being in the right situation, you know, kind of, as you said, you were, I'm sure as a young kid it, at the time, it, it probably didn't feel good getting cut from AAA, but then as you said, you were able to go down to AA, probably play in some more uh, roles there, get more ice time, work on your, your skills and development, as you said, and it evidently ended up probably, you know, saving your hockey career or allowing you to have the hockey career that you had because of those years of going down and just developing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was fun. I mean, my dad, uh, he had coached me before AAA, um, and then, uh, one year of AAA and then kind of stepped away for a year. Um, but then once we went back down to double a, uh, he got back involved. And, and so it was always fun to, to play with him uh, or play for him and uh, we had a great group and and like you said it's you you could be could have been one of you know the worst players on the triple a team or you could be one of the best players on the double a team and i just think for my development um it worked best being you know one of those better players and um being relied upon and, and then it was you know it was funny because a lot of times you'd, you'd get called up to uh, play games for the triple a team or, or later on, once I, I did make the move back to triple a, um, just the confidence that playing double a allowed me to have, uh, I think allowed me to go back up and, and have success later on in, in my minor hockey career. I think that's part of the, the misperception. I think that we, especially like, you know, we're two years apart. Like we grew up in the same minor hockey area. I remember, you know, when I switched to goalie, for example, I'd play AAA defenseman and the coach called me in and he's like, okay, if you want to play AAA, like if you go back to D right now and quit goalie, I'll, I'll take you. But if you're going to go to goalie, <laughs> you're going to double A. And it was like a big decision for me. And evidently right. I went down and like you said, develop. But I noticed a lot too, when I was growing up, a lot of even, even so parents, you know, they were so proud to say that their kid played AAA, but it didn't mean that he was a you know, a top six guy and a forward or whatever on AAA because back then you had like three lines. So, right. 
you know, whereas at that young age, maybe it would have been better for them to go down to double A and play more, more, more ice time and in better and in more important situations and develop because there's always time to go back up to the triple A if you, if you develop and if are, if are good enough. And I think sometimes that's lost uh, among parents and also the kids because they think, <clears throat> Hey, I play triple A. So that means I'm, I'm well, one, of, one of the best, you know? One of the best things I've heard recently, and I don't know if he stole it or or if he came up with it, but um, there's a guy that he actually is our one of our volunteer assistants at Oswego, but he's been heavily involved uh, coaching hockey in, in the Syracuse area and runs a lot of development camps um, all over the country uh, with high high end, you know, Division One pro, uh, Division Three coaches, and and he said, um, you know, you shouldn't chase letters, you should chase coaches. Right. And I think that's something for youth hockey parents who are always, I think, chasing, you know, the three A, triple A, or uh, even at the junior level, whether that's tier two or tier three. But really, I think you should try to chase you know, the, the coach that's going to make you develop the best to be the best player you can be. And, and for me, that was, um, you know, that was probably playing for my dad at double A and for like you said, everybody has a, a different path. I would have loved to see you as a defenseman. Um, you know, I don't know what uh, what your game would have been if you would have just been a smooth skating puck moving D or um, or a big bruiser. I don't know, but um, that's something that uh, obviously I think you made the right decision. But I would have liked to see you on the back end too. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't comment. My parents seem to tell me that I was a. Uh... I was a pretty good puck moving guy. Like I saw the ice pretty well, but uh, I was always fascinated by the goalie position. As you said, I think yeah. I, I think I went farther as a <laughs> as a goalie than I would have been a defenseman. But uh, yeah. So then after your your minor hockey journey there, so you said at the end you went back up to AAA. Like, were you playing AAA for your uh, OHL draft year at that point? No. So um, <clears throat> minor midget AA. Um, was would have been the draft year uh and we had a, a very strong team and you know whatever minor hockey coaching politics a lot of us probably could have played uh on the triple a team jesse mcconney uh, you know him played triple a his whole life and just for whatever reason the coaching dynamic there um a lot of guys chose to uh to play double a and when we had a an amazing team. I don't know if we lost a tournament all year. We won the OMHAs again, beating Burlington uh, to throw a dig in there for you. But um, and then that next year, almost our entire team uh, moved up to AAA for midget. So um, that's when uh, the Barry Colts name came back into play and, and Barry and uh, played one year of, of midget AAA before, um, you know, making the jump up to, to junior hockey. So just uh, you, you mentioned there that you basically your whole double A team went up to triple A after that year. Like, was that because a lot of guys either moved on? Like, I know a lot of guys like after high yeah. school, like they after the draft year, they either go to, they say, okay, I'm I'm done, I'm going to play high school hockey, or I'm going to tier two or whatever. Like, what what was the the reason for that happening? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely part of it. Um, we had a weird dynamic, uh, and Barry just at the younger ages, novice Adam Peewee, um, our program. Uh, when I was part of it, and when I wasn't, they were dominant. They were winning gold medals uh, at OMHAs every year, going back and forth with uh, Richmond Hill, who was really strong at the time. And then, for whatever reason, as as everybody got older, um, the team wasn't as strong. 
Um, they they still had some very good players, guys that went on to play uh, NHL and and obviously OHL. Um, but yeah, I would say that probably contributed to it is that minor midget. I think um, three or four guys would have got drafted. Uh, some guys moved up to play uh, junior A. Some guys went to play junior C. Some guys went OHL. So that definitely opened up um, some opportunities, I would say, for for double A guys and. Um, you know, it, it worked out really well for a lot of us. We were able to go up, play AAA for, I guess, what for most of us was going to be our last year of minor hockey, even though you get two years of midget. Um, had a strong team, went to the OMHAs, came up just short. But, um, again, I think it, was, it wasn't it was just me. It was a lot of other guys like Jesse McConney and, and some others that um, through playing AA, just uh, for whatever reason, the development worked out well for us, and, and we were able to to move up to AAA and, and not really miss a beat and then continue our careers after that. Yeah. And getting into that, um, obviously you played four years, uh, in Huntsville. So tier two junior A and, the back then it was the OPJHL, OJHL, whatever it's called now, uh, yeah. in that area. And I just wanted to like, kind of ask you about it. So like when I was playing, like we were around the same time, like in, in the league and, you know, guys were always trying to get out like so fast, you know what I mean? Like, you know, play one year and then go to the OHL or play one or two years and get a scholarship where you, you know, you went later, eventually you went, went to college later and we'll get in, we'll get into that down the road. Yeah. But did you feel that like every, that every year you went back to another season at Huntsville, like you had just taken a step forward and were able to transmit that on, on the ice and into your game? Yeah, it was, it's funny you say that, like everybody was trying to get out. Like I know um, when I was fortunate enough to make Huntsville uh, my first year out of Midget, um, you know, I was just happy to be there. Uh, and and quite frankly, it was like a lot, we were affiliated with Erie um, at the time. And, and it was like, that was the thing. Everybody on our team, we had a lot of draft picks or we had guys that they were interested in and, college at least where i was in Huntsville, but wasn't even a thought like it wasn't i had always wanted to go to play college hockey that was initially i think that was again my mom <laughs> in my head saying no you're going to get an education that should be the route that you go but um everybody was always chasing like that call up to erie or or free agent signing somewhere and i just found that strange but um no like like you said with each year going back um, definitely that, that confidence, um, grew, uh, it's, it's a place Huntsville for me, a, a very special place that, that, like I, I said earlier, I, I refer to it as home now just because I feel like that's where I grew up the most in my life. It's you kind of, those core years from you know, 15, 16 through 20 are, I think the ones that really kind of shape who you are and, um, my experience up there. For, for playing and, and all the people that I met and the families uh, that I'm still close with, I think they're the ones that help shape who I am today. And that's why I think uh, it's still home for me. And you brought up, uh, you know, I, I remember that too. You guys were affiliated with Erie and a lot of guys were, you know, hoping to maybe impress them or another OHL team. Yeah. And your mom was staying in a year about college, which obviously I think ended up being the right decision. But did any at any time were you kind of like, especially that first year, I would say like, 
Hey, you know, if I have a good year this year, maybe uh, Erie would notice me or I have the OHL. Like, did the OHL ever yeah. uh, entice you that way? No, it did. I mean, I grew up in Barrie and, and the Barrie Colts were like, those were my NHL all-stars. Like, those were the guys that I wanted to be. Um, you know, I I worked at a gym as basically like the water and towel boy and and they would come in every day. So that was definitely the, what I wanted to do. And after my first year in Huntsville, um, I, I actually got invited to, to go down to Plymouth when they had a team, um, and go down to their camp. And, uh, it was, it went really well, um, did really well actually to the point where, you know, they were basically saying that we, we want you to consider staying, but I knew it was going to be as like a, a fourth line type role, like you if it doesn't work out, then, you know, see you later. And I just, I was too nervous to risk losing college eligibility at that time. Um, Because after my first year in junior, you did start to see some other guys around the league getting scholarships and stuff like that. So it kind of brought that more into light for me, like, okay, like uh, there is a path to college and, and there are some good players and you start to learn more about it. So, um, just without really knowing the security of, of being able to stick in the OHL. And, and quite frankly, I don't think my game was fit for that anyway. Um, it was a cool experience uh, to do that. But I once I went back to Huntsville, it would have been for my second year after that. It was pretty much the blinders came on and, and it was chasing NCAA from, from there on out. So, And... When you were back in in Huntsville, like obviously, you know, your your second, third, and and f- fourth year, as I said, every year you progress. But basically, just to sum it up, your last three three years of junior, you were a point per game or way more, you know, each season, which is just tremendous. Were you getting a lot of uh, a lot of school interest at at that point, or was it something you just you know came later? Because obviously, you know, as I said, like you played your 21 year old year and then obviously we met each other at Oswego, but I'm just wondering like what was kind of going on behind the scenes there. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it's fun. It's for me, it's, I look back on it now as as a coach um, and just one, how the whole recruiting dynamic has changed in terms of what's available to us as coaches now um that wouldn't have been available to coaches then uh in terms of just you know the video and instat and all the different things that you can makes my life now as a coach easier i can watch kids in bc i can watch kids in alberta texas every single game every single shift and get you know stats reports on them and and i go back to you know my time playing in huntsville and i don't even think our games were broadcast or we had video so um basically the only way we were getting seen was was in person and um Huntsville being the the most northern based team um you know you had to be really committed if you were a coach to make that trip up there um you know to watch some of our games but obviously we still played a lot of the city teams and and got some looks there but no I would say um definitely there was always conversations after games with with different schools business cards and, and, and whatnot, but nothing ever got to the point where, you know, like that's where I think by my third year, you start getting frustrating. It's like, okay, I want more than just a, a handshake and a business card. Like, you know, I'd like to to go on visits or I'd like to, you know, do some other things like that. And, and 
for whatever reason, it just, it wasn't getting to that point. Um, just kept kind of getting that same, we're going to continue to watch you and, and see where it goes. And, um, you know, it, it just, uh, it never progressed to, to anything past that. So, um, you know, it, it was difficult, but for whatever reason, I think everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, had a very strong year my my last year, and um, met uh, met my my current boss. Um, you know, you talk about guys that are being committed to drive all the way up to Huntsville. He would he would have been one of them, and uh, thankfully he did because um, you know I wouldn't be where I am today if if that never happened. So, so getting to that last year, um, obviously you ended up choosing Oswego, but were you going? Were you, did you go on any other visits before making that decision or anything like that, or it was just as you said, Eddie was uh, was the one yeah. showing showing the most dedication. Yeah. Driving? <laughs> well, that's. I mean, I actually after my third year, I almost I was pretty dead set on going to actually U of T. Mm-hmm. Um, in Toronto, just because uh, you start to, I think there's a little pressure you start to feel when you're 19, 20 years old, your friends are all in about their you know first or second year of college um, and university. And, uh, you know, here you are, you're not working, you know, I was working, but you're not taking any classes. You're just kind of a hockey bum playing junior. So I started to get a little nervous um, and was, you know, off very, very, very close to uh, to going to U of T, which I'm sure would have been a great experience, but kind of got talked into to going back to Huntsville for my last year. Uh, we had a great team. We knew we were going to go uh, on a run. And um, so I decided to go back and uh, it was, yeah, it was Ed who uh, was probably the, one of the first D3 schools that spoke to me. I didn't even know what D3 was. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I didn't really want to entertain it. Um, just because it wasn't division one. I didn't know there was no division two. I didn't know what D three hockey was. And, and, um, but once uh, you start kind of looking at the roster, uh, of the players that they had and I'm going, okay, I remember playing against, um, you know, this guy or that guy. And, and they were, you know, I thought very good junior hockey players. I couldn't believe that they were playing division three, um, and uh, so myself and, and my roommate at the time, Jesse McConney, um, who they had also been talking to, just said, you know what, let's go have some fun. Because <laughs> that was, we, it was the first school that had actually invited us down on a visit. And, uh, you know, we thought it was just going to be a, an awesome experience. And, and we went and it was, and it blew, absolutely blew us away. Uh, one, the facility, I mean, you know, uh, it's as good as, as many division ones, if not better than, than a lot. And, uh, fans, the game itself, I think was, was the biggest thing for us was how good, um, the hockey was and, um, fast physical, um, the atmosphere was incredible. And, and I think at that point, I remember us looking at each other and we're like, well, if this D one thing doesn't happen, I mean, hell, this would be a pretty good backup plan. And um, so it was early. It was like November, December uh, when when I think we both decided, hey, if it's D3, we'll come here. Um, we didn't really entertain any other schools. We we did go on a, it was more so of to visit a friend at Geneseo and, and somehow it turned into like a quasi recruiting trip. But 
uh, I think he had had that planned, like, oh, just come meet my coaches. And next thing you know, we're on a full-blown tour. But um, no, at that time, we, we knew it was Oswego. If something came D1, we, were, you know, that, that we would take it. But um, it didn't. And uh, it was Oswego for, for the rest of the way. So. Yeah, I'm curious, like what you just said about, uh, you know, at that age, you were like D3, like not even entertaining this kind of thing. Like everyone, you know, if you're going SLA, you're going D1. Yeah. And especially now, I think 10, 10 years, 12 years later, whatever it is now, I think the leagues even got even, even better. But even when, as you said, when we were playing, like there was a lot of guys in that league that for either whatever reason, maybe they didn't have the grades to go D1 or they didn't have yeah. the off ice discipline i'd say or the, the 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 dedication to the gym whatever still tremendous hockey players that went and played there and and you saw like guy Oswego was sending out guys like i think uh it was selick or whatever who's who yeah. signed uh signed an nhl deal there like it, it's it's definitely uh you know people i think just give it that stigma of oh like you're playing d3 and right. they have no clue that you know, I was the same way, like, to, to be quite honest, when I was at Niagara, I, obviously I knew like Carzy and them there and his dad was the one trying to get me there when you guys needed a goal. Right. And I was like, oh, like D3, like, you know, I guess, okay, I'll go play. And then like, that means like it's done. You know what I mean? Cause I'd always yeah. dreamed of playing pro, but that's like so far from, from the truth. And as you said, like at Oswego, especially the facilities and the fan support are better than I would say half the Atlantic division and and NCAA I played in that division, like Mm -hmm. just, you know, 3000 screaming fans a game. Like our room was nice, uh, nice workout facility. Uh, dorms were great. Downtown was awesome. Like it has everything you need for a college town. Like we, we sell it. I mean, it's, it's a full experience, whether that's social, academic, athletics, we're, we're lucky at house. We go to have what we have, but, yeah, I mean, for like the D3 thing, it's just at that time, like, I mean, you know, a lot of guys we played with were all top players in the OJ. And sometimes it's just at that time, I think exposure might have been an issue. Like it was just, like I said, things have come so far now where it, it's hard to, to get missed because there's so many avenues to watch players and the internet and like I listened to Ed, our our head coach, and how he used to have to recruit back in like the nineties, like reading the newspaper and like it's just it's not that way at all anymore. And so, um, you know, maybe we got a little lucky at Oswego with the group that that we had, and then you know later you joining that it was just a bunch of great great guys that for whatever reason fell through the cracks. Cracks, like you said, sometimes that was that was great. Sometimes it's finances. I think a lot of people assume division one anyone who goes d1 is is on a full ride um you know we have players that have come back to oswego now that were on division one scholarships that were paying more for one year of school than what they're going to pay for four at oswego so um but no it's uh you're you're right i do definitely think it's gotten better Um, i think there's a lot more awareness to what division three hockey is now um it's deeper there's there's a couple more teams that have been added since you and i played and uh, there's just more players like this we're getting guys from florida from arizona from texas like there's more players than than when you and i were playing and and more teams and um it's it's been great for you know division one hockey division three hockey and hockey everywhere 
That's definitely true. And I wanted to bring up one of the things I wanted to ask you was obviously, you know, it's a little more common, I would say, if you're going, especially D3, you're going as a as a 21 year old freshman, you know, you finish your junior career, respectively, wherever you are. And like your, your first year, you put up 30, 38 points. And obviously, at that point, it looked like it was a good decision to go to Oswego. But do you feel personally like you going as a as a 21 year old freshman allowed you to have like that immediate success versus if you had gone at at a a true freshman at 18 or even one year after? No, absolutely. I mean, it's NCAA hockey is the oldest average age college sport of of any of them. Um, And I think it's great because it's great for, you know, guys like myself who were late developed, you know, uh, guys that maybe, as 16, 17 year olds were good, but just not fully there. And then once they really find it, 18, 19, 20, it's a great sport for um, those kind of late developers. And, and we always tell kids now, it's funny, the school have open houses um, where any kid from wherever comes to check out Oswego. And we got a lot of high school kids that come up from, say, Long Island or, or wherever else in the state, and they'll stop by our office and, and say, like, hey, I want to play here next year. So, okay, well, where do you play now? I play for my high school in Long Island. So you're 17 years old. You're playing high school hockey in Long Island. You want to come play for Oswego next year. We always say that if you can come play at Oswego as a as an 18 year old, you should probably continue playing because you're going to get a Division One scholarship somewhere. You know that next year because that's that's the, the quality of the hockey and. Um, no, it's, uh, but I think taking those extra years um, to develop, not just as a hockey player, but just as a person, right? Like, I think, you know, what I learned as an 18, 19, 20 year old in Huntsville, living on your, well, not necessarily on your own, but living away from home, um, you know, having, uh, at the time we had a job, but still having to learn time management to, to, train practice work fit all that in um i just think once you get to school um as a 20 21 year old freshman it might seem a little crazy and and whatnot waiting that long but you're so much more prepared for for everything that's going to be thrown at you because once you get there it's a lot um you know being a student again taking four or five classes weight room practice video community service it's it's like a full-time job and um you know, without uh, going that early, I don't know if, or sorry, had I gone early, I don't know if I, I would have been ready. So that's a big time debate. I don't, I don't think it matters what uh, if you're playing D one or D D three, what position you are. I've always said the rare ones that can go at eighteen, you know, they must be very mature and, uh, you know, understand everything that comes with it. Because as you said, it is a you're a student athlete, student being first in most in most yeah. cases and it is a full-time job. Like if you're, if you're lucky enough to have a scholarship, you're being paid to, to go to school. And, and also then what comes with it on the side with the sport and also representing the team uh, at the school and in the community. So it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's, I would say like, uh, it's a lot. yeah, it's a lot. And it's a, I was going to say nine to five, but it's probably even yeah. longer. It's a, yeah. it's an eight to eight, eight, eight to eight at night kind of, right. kind of job. And, um, one thing I want to ask you about this is just a personal question of mine. You were you were a small smaller guy, like not not the tallest guy out there, but you had one of the sickest releases that I've 
scene <laughs> and just like unbelievably hard one time i'm just wondering like is that something that you like worked on every every summer to like like how did you get like so much power yeah. out of that <laughs> oh i mean that's uh it's funny you look at some of the the little guys in the league today now like you know, i look at little cole caulfield in montreal and you know you watch connor bedard and what he can do i mean everybody marvels at matthew's shot and that's incredible but then you see connor bedard who's you know not half his size but much smaller and can still seem to shoot it the same way and um i don't know i think for me it was just being a smaller guy it was always okay you know where i may not have the size and strength how can i make up for it somewhere else and uh, for me it was usually just trying to outthink or outsmart others or be a little quicker and you know the shot thing i think that was just ingrained as a young kid I, i'm in my parents i gotta thank them like they always every house, you know, we moved around a little bit. Um, we always had, you know, somewhere for me to shoot, uh, whether that was in our basement, uh, the driveway, whatever it might be. And, um, when my parents actually, I remember they moved up to, to Huntsville, um, near the end of my, my junior career. Cause they loved it so much up there. Um, you know, my dad had built, like he's a carpenter, so he's, and he's had like wicked ADD. So he's always, trying to keep busy and um you know like he had built me this whole big shooting range and uh we eventually had uh after i finished playing turned our garage into a basically like a shooting range where i, I ran lessons and stuff out of but just i think yeah just that time commitment and and watching players like i think that was one strength of mine was being able to watch what other guys were doing or what pros were doing and and for whatever reason, just being able to pick it up quick. And I don't know why that, why that was, but I just think that was something that I was good at. Like I could watch, um, you know, the way Joe Sackick would shoot a puck and be able to kind of pick up uh, how he does it. You know, was I Joe Sackick? Absolutely not. But, you know, if you can make your shot a little better by finding something that he does, um, you know, then, then you've become a better player. So, yeah, I think just putting the time in, you hear Connor Bedard and, and everything just through the World Juniors all the time and, and what he does. And, uh, you know, even when he was hurt with a, I think a broken collarbone, how he was shooting pucks with his one hand and how that helped his forearm strength. I mean, when you put the time in, you know, typically the results will come. So, And that definitely explains, uh, you know, why you had such a successful college career um 139 points in four years which is just crazy one other thing i wanted to ask you about because i really noticed this about about you is maybe this came from your parents as well maybe your mom wants to take credit for this as well um <laughs> but i really found that that even when i came there our second year our sophomore year you, you weren't maybe wearing a, a letter at that point but you were still like such a leader and in my eyes and you just everything about you like just your demeanor how you approached everything how you spoke you always had those like leadership qualities and abilities i'm just wondering like where did you think like that that came from is that is that passed down um, from your parents or yeah i mean definitely number one it starts from my parents like that's just that's who they are um uh, you know uh, both of them in their own way i think wherever they worked or whatever they did um you know, I was lucky. I think they, they did a great job in raising me um, to have parents like that. And um, but no, and then it's just like who you surround yourself with and, and 
Um, you know, other coaches I had, I mean, I haven't even mentioned them, but Tom McCarthy and Huntsville, um, arguably, you know, I think of three guys all the time when I think of, you know, who helped shape me and be my, you know, my parents, my dad is my coach, Tom McCarthy, and then obviously Eddie at Oswego. And just to be able to have like three guys that can kind of instill, um, you know, just those life lessons in you. Uh, I, I was so blessed and fortunate and, um, you know, I, I think a lot of that they deserve the credit for just because they're the ones who, who brought a lot of it out of me and, and teaching those you know, uh, life skills that allow you to have success. So, yeah, I, I would say that's kind of where it comes from. Well, it's really good to hear. And like, hopefully from, you know, who's ever listening, if there's young, young people listening, they take notes on that, because I think that's something that's very important for both the hockey side of things and also the growing up adult side, you know, whenever you do transition out of the game and stuff, because these are qualities that you can use in any, any aspect of life. Yeah. So I always, uh, yeah, I always looked up to you for that. Uh, you know, obviously when you were our, our captain at school and stuff, like it was obviously, you know, someone when you spoke, everyone shut up kind of thing. But, uh, then, uh, so obviously we played, played together at Oswego and then, uh, unfortunately those last two years, uh, we lost in the finals. I don't know if you saw that, by the way, side note, I don't know if you saw the scores yesterday, eight, seven or something. I just, yeah, <laughs> it was wild. That was one of, I mean, uh, that, uh, Adrian and, and UNE game, that was one of the, wildest games i i was able to watch a, a good chunk of it on the way home um and, and credit again if people don't know anything about d3 hockey you sit down and watch that game and you'll be blown away with with how quick it was and obviously the goaltending may not have been up to par but um just so much high-end skill speed back and forth uh, it was great and and uh the other game there uh hobart um and the D3, and, and then obviously the D1 games, uh, it's been, you know, it, I feel like a, a good opportunity for people to become fans of college hockey, just, um, you know, watching some of those games there over the weekend. Uh, the Big Ten looks like SEC football with, with the way they're, you know, beating down on teams. But, no, it's uh, it's awesome to see. And, and you're seeing a lot of great guys come out of college and, and move into the NHL now. I think that's kind of, uh, I don't know if they're at the same level as major junior, but they're certainly closing in. Yeah. If anybody, uh, you know, you should definitely tune into some of those games. And if you want to go down memory lane, feel free to look at Oswego state from 2000, <laughs> 2009, 2013 and watch John Whitelaw. And yeah. See this, uh, this shot uh, yeah. I was, I was talking about. There's a couple yeah. clips on YouTube. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. What did you what did you graduate again with? Was it in teaching or school of education? Yeah, okay. so teaching, and that's, I mean, uh, ultimately, I think deep down, I always wanted to get into coaching. Um, teaching, uh, I thought was kind of the closest thing to that. Um, if coaching didn't work out, then then I could you know go back to Ontario or wherever and and be a teacher. But um, yeah, so I, I ended up getting uh, my teaching degree from. Oswego and then later on uh, my master's also in teaching from Oswego. Getting a master's that's something I I wish I had done when I was playing <laughs> uh, playing pro in Europe the first couple of years and speaking yeah. of that obviously both of us you know 
you, I think you came a little a little later during the season, but after Oswego, I went off to France to play in the, the first league there. And I believe you came in November. Yeah, yeah. It was, it would have been November because I, um, I had actually my line mate at the time, Paul Rodriguez, we had both been invited uh, out to Utah um, in the East Coast Hockey League for, for their camp. And so that's originally where it started uh, with hopes of, of making that and uh, quickly finding out how pro hockey works. Um, you know, it, it didn't work out there. And so then you're kind of scrambling and, and uh, no, thankfully through you. And uh, I think it was Mark Juris who helped a lot um, was able to, to get over to, to Europe and Morzine and, and join you for, for what was a, a fun experience. A lot of, a lot of croissants, a lot of crepes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just honestly, you just brought this up and I for, I forgot about this. I wanted to ask you one more thing about Oswego was your line mates, like at least for the two and a half years I was there, you guys played together every game unless there was an injury. So you were always with Luke Moody and yep. uh, Paul Rodriguez. Going back to what you said about the, you know, some guys who are good enough to play D1, but just for whatever reason, financial grades doesn't matter, go to D3. You guys as a line, I mean for me could have played on any D1 team because every game you guys were putting up points. You, you seem to always be in sync together, know where each other is going to be on the ice. Um, maybe just comment on that, like how that was for yeah. the, the three, four years of that. No, it's funny. Um, I listened to your last guest and, and he was talking about going to Western uh, and how he was you know lucky to, to get put in situations. Um, that was, for me, that was that was my story too. I mean, to be able to come right into Oswego and uh, get matched up with those two. I mean, I, I knew I didn't really know them, but knew of them. I mean, Paul and Luke, they've been at the top of the scoring in, in the OJ for you know not just one year, two, three years, um, and to be able to play with those guys right out of the gate uh, was definitely something you know, you know I was lucky to do and and. It doesn't happen often, I don't think, at least now that I've been coaching seven, eight years at the college level where you, you can throw three guys together that, you know, for four years might only play two, three games apart. Um, we were lucky for whatever reason. It just it worked, um, you know, with Paul and Luke and, um, you know, maybe Paulie being more of the, the worker, getting the puck in the corners and so forth. Me maybe being more of the, the playmaker and, and then Luke, the finisher. But, um, you know, it, it just worked and uh, it was fun uh, to be able to play with, with two other guys where you literally, you just, you got to play free. I never had to think out there. I always knew where they were going to be. Um and it was just such a, a fun way to play when you, you really, you don't have to think or worry. You, you can trust them and, and uh, you guys, you know, you know where to put pucks and, and you know that they're going to finish. So play with two guys like that. Um, you know, I think that's a tribute to how you know, we were able to have a lot of success at Oswego. I 100% agree. And I'm just laughing because I have, I recorded some of the videos like of our our year end videos on my computer and stuff. And I used to watch them every season before I went into my season and just yeah. 
seemed like every other clip, it was someone getting the puck from someone on your line and making another <laughs> play and burying. So it's just, it's yeah. crazy to look back on, uh, on that. And no, now, like, it's, it was fun. It was a blast. You know, then it was, you know, usually we'd practice. I mean, it was always just like even practice, uh, you know, we always would rib on each other and whether it was, Luke and Paul against me or Paul and I against Luke or whatever. We just, we had a great relationship on and off the ice and, and that's what made it work. But. And then, uh, so we briefly talked about Morzine and obviously we played, played one year there. And I, I think that was, you know, for both of us, our first full pro season and a good experience after, after Morzine, what, what made you kind of want to transition into you know, Hey, I'm going to stop playing and now I'm going to get into the, the coaching side of it. Like, did you still have that ambition to play or was it more don't really want to go back to Europe or you yeah. had an opportunity or. It was tough because, um, that was always my dream. Uh, especially, you know, once I started college, like it was like, okay, now I've hit this checkpoint. My next checkpoint was to go play in Europe. And, um, you know, once that, east coast thing with utah came you know i i almost regret taking that i should have just continued that focus on europe because i felt like it just um it, it was a good experience it definitely opened my eyes to a there's so many good hockey players in this world um i think it was maybe the first time i actually went anywhere and a ranking was kind of intimidated um and and so just by the, you know the other good players but um having that opportunity to go over to Morzine um was awesome um did it go exactly how i would have hoped no like in terms of just my own performance um i think it was kind of tough to join halfway through the year to um try to adjust to what in my opinion is just a completely different style of game um was tough but I, I truly, I did want to go back for another year. Um, that was my intentions. I think it would have been awesome to to kind of get a fresh start and start with a team from scratch. Um, but I, I had uh, to get shoulder surgery um, at the end of our season there in Morzine. It was the second time having shoulder surgery. And I think it was just one of those things where, A, the rehab on the on my first shoulder surgery was quite long. So I knew I would have been starting kind of from behind the gun again. And, um, and I was in love, I guess that's the other thing. I'm not going to sugarcoat that, right? My, my, what is my current wife at the time? Um, you know, she's had stayed back in Syracuse, didn't get to come over because she had just started a great job that she couldn't really leave to come join me in France. So, um, you know, doing distance, different time zones for, whatever it was, six months that we were apart, seven months, um, was a challenge. And then even when I got back, I mean, I'm from Canada, she's from the U S so making that all work was tough. And, uh, so I guess it, it was just time. I, I think every guy that plays hockey, your goal is to get to pro or at least play pro. And, um, you know, I was able to do that and, uh, I was happy with my experience. It was phenomenal, uh, being over there playing some of those crowds and, and atmospheres and, meeting all the good guys uh, that we had on our team. Uh, but I think at that point, it was just, I was ready um, to move on. The body, I think, sometimes tells you that. And maybe that's what mine was telling mine, me. But um, 
no, it was, uh, it was just time. And, and I badly, badly wanted to get into coaching. So I think that was, that was the other thing. I mean, love, love does that to you, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand. I did a similar thing here. Uh, that's why I stayed in Germany and went to a, a lower league and got into coaching was because I had met someone and now evidently right. getting married this summer and that right. place here. Um, I was just, la- I was laughing in my head. I'm just thinking back to that year and how every night we would log on Call of Duty and play <laughs> 2v2 against yeah. Balish and Jonesy. And yeah. that was just priceless no, to me, the, the arguments no. we'd get in. But uh, I wanted to, now transitioning to the uh, to coaching, but before, the, one last thing about your playing career. As I said before, you were obviously a smaller guy. Like, did you did you face like adversities, maybe like size, and maybe some other things throughout your your career that you were able to persevere through that kind of made you the person you are today? Yeah, no, like I said, I think I always go back to like your first year of junior. You're the young kid on the block. You're you know usually the smallest, or at least for me. So you got to find ways to adapt your your way of game to to still find success and and through junior i was able to do that and then you get to to college and it's kind of that same thing all over again you're a freshman uh, everybody's bigger stronger faster how do you adapt how do you adjust um and to still have success and so i feel like you know especially as a smaller guy you're constantly trying to find ways um, to still have success. And, and for me, it was just, it was through my brain, um, trying to, to be a little smarter. And, and I think I, I learned things too, right? Like I know at Oswego, um, you know, one thing I, I would say I, I learned was just how to protect pucks, how to, you know, not throw pucks away, um, just, you know, manage pucks a, a lot better. And, um, you know, through each year, you're, you're constantly picking something else up. So, um, you know, uh, as a smaller guy, uh, you, I think you see in the NHL today, just with the amount of smaller guys that are having success, it's it's not maybe the NHL that you and I grew up watching where, um, you know, like a guy like Marty St. Louis was a unicorn. Um, the fact that someone that size could have success now you're seeing it's a lot more common just with the way the game's played. And um, I, for me, being a smaller guy, it's great to see. Like, I can't wait to to watch and see. Um, you know, what Connor Bedard can do just because I think a lot of guys are, they see the skill and, and, and what he can do, but um, maybe they're a little hesitant just because he's undersized, but I think uh, he's kind of showing size doesn't matter. So, Yeah, right now he, is, he seems to be showing that hockey is too too easy. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know, 70-something <laughs> goals in 50 <laughs> games, I, I guess that's good, but uh, no. Yeah, but no, that's, I, I definitely agree, like the what we grew up playing, like I talked to a goalie about this uh, last week, the episode will come out on Tuesday, but you know, the size thing, like when we were, when I was playing goalie, it was if we could debate between a six, four goalie who might not be the best moving goalie and a five ten goalie who was really good at moving. A lot of times they'd give the tall guy a chance because they figured, Hey, he's got size, which you can't teach. So, but you can teach him how to move. And, you know, now right. transition 15 years later, uh, goalies like Vasilevsky who are six, five, six, six, can move faster than some right. small goalies. So like it, the game is just completely uh, evolved and yeah. uh, you know, that's crazy. See, as you said, so now like in your case, a lot of small guys are, it's not, it's not a unicorn right. anymore. So, right. Um, 
And then, so when you were done playing, you, you transitioned into coaching and, and obviously you got uh, a couple of years of being a graduate student, both at, uh, at Cortland and Oswego. How do like how does that work for anyone who's listening who might not understand exactly what a graduate uh, coaching position is? Do you mind ex- explaining that? Yeah, Just- yeah. No, of course. It's uh, first off, I think anybody who's going to get into coaching, especially at the college level, first thing you have to understand is um, don't expect to get rich. <laughs> um, it's you know financially you have to have support, whether that be from you know, your family or, or whoever, but. Um, I was lucky both places. Uh, my first year uh, at Cortland, um, working with Joe Cardarelli, who's done a, an unbelievable job with their program, uh, you know, taking them from a team that used to be one of uh, the lower ones in our conference. Uh, I think this year they, they cracked into the top 20. So, um, you know, that was a good guy for me to learn from. But just uh, going there, uh, where you're essentially, you're, you're not a full-time student. I was taking, I think two or three classes. Um, I was lucky it was all online, but, um, you're also, um, you know, working as a full-time coach. So, uh, whether that's, you know, practice recruiting, um, you know, obviously all the game day stuff and travel, booking hotels, food, um, you're kind of getting a, a great, taste of, of what it's like to be a coach. And, um, you know, my one year there at Cortland, it was good just to kind of see how other programs do things. Uh, and I certainly picked up some things from Joe just in terms of his, uh, you know, his organization and, and the time. I think that was my eye opener for sure. And, and I'm sure you can, can kind of speak to it now too, as a coach, it's just like, I used to, as a player, you know, when something wasn't done or something wasn't ready, I'd be like, what the heck? Like, what are those guys doing there all day? What the heck could they be doing? Why didn't they, you know, why didn't he have the tape out? Or why, you know, it's just funny. We'd always get worked up over it. And now once you're in their shoes and you realize how much stuff you're you're trying to do and accomplish, um, it's crazy. It's, it's, a, it's a fun life. It doesn't really seem like work, but it's busy. And, and to be successful, you kind of, there's like you said, there's no hours. It's, it's you're all day, every day. Um, but, uh, no, my grad assistant one year at Cortland was great. And then to be able to come home to, to Oswego and, and, um, do two years as a grad assistant there, uh, under a gentleman named Fred Festa who has endowed the position, which is incredible to have. I think we're one of the few schools at both levels, D1 and D3 that have an endowed graduate position. Um, you know, it was great to, to walk out of there with a master's degree and, and not have to pay anything for it. Well, also, you know, uh, making a very, very small sum on the side. Um, that's part of it. It's part of the grind. And uh, no, it's a phenomenal experience, I think, for anybody who's looking to get into coaching. Because um, I think it also helps you find out if you're really cut out for it, if, if that's the lifestyle you want to live. Because you, you know, from late August through till this time of year, late March, your weekends are gone. Your, you know, your early mornings or late nights, you're traveling all over. It's, um, it's a lot, but at the end of the day, to me, it's not a job. It's, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. I love it. It's my passion. So. You brought up a couple of good points there. One of them being when you were talking about Cortland, like 
I wanted to kind of talk to you about this as well. Like the division has changed since we played. Like I, yeah. I, I truly believe that. Like when we played, it was us and Plattsburgh every year. It was a battle of who was going to finish first to win the Suniac title. And then you had a couple teams, maybe if you had an off night that could give you give you some trouble. And as you said, Cortland was always a, a bottom team at that time. They were still building up their program. And and now it's like just even keeping up with you guys this year, like anybody can beat anybody now. And I, I think that's kind of a testament to how the D3 hockey is is growing and probably to the coaches and uh, people doing yeah. the recruiting. So well, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, there's and it, you're seeing it at D1 too. Like just the parody is, is incredible. Um, but I kind of reference it like there's so many hockey players now um, in just different places. And, and like I said, with recruiting, uh, how you're able to to kind of reach a lot further than maybe you used to be able to. Um, there's just there's a lot, a lot more players, um, better players. And, you know, D1 hockey really hasn't grown in terms of teams. Like they've added a couple teams here and there, but it, I don't know if it's matched up with the amount of players that are are growing. And so, um, you know, D3 gets to kind of reap the benefits of that with, with a lot of, you know, better players trickling down to our level. And, you know, our conference and, and every conference now is it's, you know, you're five, six teams deep, like, uh, you know, any team uh, that made our playoffs this year could have easily won uh, the league and, and gone on and, and probably done well in the tournament. So it's, uh, it's fun. It, it makes it harder. I kind of liked those days when it was maybe just a two horse race where, you know, every game you could kind of maybe some nights take off, but um, now it's that, that doesn't work. If, if you're not ready, it's, it'll cost you so oh and just a comment on the like i briefly just looked at the you know the the quarters and the semis like there's a couple teams there that were you know coming up when we were playing you know obviously adrian we played them in the quarters our, our last year and utica was always a yeah. team building and i believe they're going d1 next year but there's a lot of teams in there like no respect to the programs maybe they weren't around or maybe they were newer when we were there but they like you know they were always a building team back then maybe lower their division and now they've completely 180 it to being yeah those top teams but i think again it's just d3 oh, hockey. I, I mean if you look at at just d3 hockey in general i think going back it was just you know, 10 10 12 years ago when it was pretty commonplace that the same or very similar teams were in the final four every year um, you know, for, for us, it was usually Oswego, St. Norbert, Norwich, uh, you know, Plattsburgh, Utica, some of the Wisconsin schools, Stevens Point, Eau Claire. But now it's it's like every year you can roll the dice and you're getting a new four, um, which is great. Uh, you know, like this year, uh, tonight's final between Hobart and Adrian. Adrian won it last year, but Hobart, um, you know, we played them first game of the year right out of the gate. Probably the the best team that we've seen. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how they do tonight. But yeah, it's it's great for hockey, I think. And maybe you can comment to this too. Obviously, I've I've been asked a couple a couple times because there's a few people I know who are playing who might be, you know, thinking of retiring and transitioning, and they've been offered maybe a coaching job or something. Like, how does it feel for for you specifically, like being on the other being on the other side of it? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, there's, trust me, it's, it's hard. There's, <laughs> there's certain games where, 
you know, maybe things aren't going the way you want and, and you just, you don't have that control to go out there and actually change it. But it's, it's an incredible, I mean, it's still, I'm a competitive guy. Um, everything I do, it just, I want those juices going. It, it, I want to be able to compete every single day. And um, I think it, it fills that need that I have in life, but then it's also for me, like I've been at it eight years now, seven years at Oswego, like the amount of great quality guys I've met, um, players that have come through the program. Um, like that's, I look at Ed now, my, you know, our coach at Gothic who's been at it for over 30 years. And, you know, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players that he's had a hand in developing that. Again, it's, if there's one thing I'm taking away from Ed right now, it, it's, it's just how to, you know, basically teach those life skills that guys can can have in the future. And, um, you know, to see all the guys that come back now year after year, um, you know, <clears throat> from 1992 or the class of 98. And, um, you know, for Ed to see, you know, now they have families, they have jobs, they have kids. Um, they've gone on to do, you know, very successful things. Like to me, that's where. In my mind, now that I've been at it long enough, it's starting to change. Like that's, I think that's what's really important about college coaching and coaching at our level is just the impact you can have on on players and their lives and their futures and and then the relationships you have afterwards. It's it's really cool. Like I I still get to keep up with, um, you know, some of the guys that were seniors my first year when I got back to Oswego coaching and. Um, you know, they're four or five years into working now and, and some of them are married, have kids. And it's just, it's, it's really cool that, that they always check in and you, know, you get to kind of follow along in, in their life story and know you played a small part in it. So, yeah. Um, you brought back a lot there just talking about like, Ed, like, obviously I went to Europe after and I feel like I kind of disconnected a bit. I've never been back to Oswego since, which is kind of sad to say, but oh, you're you right. haven't been, you haven't been back to the side of the, the world too much, but yeah, no, most, uh, just summers for a little bit, but, uh, yeah. no, like Ed, Ed, I would say, like, as you said, like he was really good at, you know, teaching guys, like how to, how to be, how to be men, prepare them for what's after college. And, yeah. uh, you know, was it, was an easy guy would do anything for, and I'm sure still does for his players. And, <laughs> Another guy that I, I I talked about a week before with somebody on on another episode, and I forgot to bring up was uh, was Mark Digby. Like he obviously was really important, especially for me. He was the one that helped me get to Oswego, and you know, kind of was doing what you were doing back then as as being yeah. an assistant. I just finished playing, and um, you know, him and Ed together, I feel like had really helped build a culture there at Oswego, and they kind of had the you know, the similar, uh, guidelines for when recruiting players and how they wanted to, to be represented the team, you know, both, uh, to the school and to the the community. So those guys definitely, uh, and I think, I believe Mark's on the, on the women's side now. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, our school, our program has been so lucky, you know, uh, before Mark, it was, it was Dan Ford and, and then actually he came back, but, um, you know, to have those, three uh, Ed uh, Mark Dan Ford and, and then Mike Gray who's been involved just as long as any of them pretty cool uh, to have uh, you know four guys like that and uh, for me it's just neat how my relationship with with all of them have has shifted you go from 
you know, from being a player under them to, uh, you know, to being a coworker, uh, you know, like Mark has, has become one of my you know closest friends, uh, being able to, to bounce things off of him. You know, he did it. He was in my position for a number of years. So, um, you know, uh, being able to, to go to him for, for guidance and, and, you know, Dan Ford, who's down in South Carolina now who, you know, we get to text back and forth all the time and, and, you know, always picking up things from him. And then, uh, you know, being with Mike and Mike Gray and Ed every day is, uh, definitely a lot of laughs. Uh, that's for sure. But just, it's cool how, how our relationships have changed. I mean, Ed is, he's everything. He's a coach. He's a, he's a father. He's a friend. He's, he's kind of does it all in my life now. So it's, it's Apparently, really cool. So you go. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. So, um, no. so I want to, I, another thing I want to ask you about, so being, being assistant coach at Oswego now, what type of players would you say Oswego is trying to, to attract or recruit? Like what type of guys you want to roster? What kind of, what kind of team are you guys trying to, trying to be every, every year and also like the, the part two of that question is you brought up before how scouting these days is, is tr- tremendously different than when we were being recruited yeah. how much how much of the scouting side of it now would you say like percentage wise is seeing somebody live and seeing them on inside depending obviously where they are like if they're out in bc it's a little different but you know now with yeah. inside and everything it's obviously you can you can see a lot more video footage than you could when we played oh well, it's again like i I I said it, it's been seven, eight years since I started and to now in terms of the amount of time when I first started where you're in a car driving, you know, to Kingston, to Brockville, to Toronto, to Jersey, Boston, wherever it might be. It felt like every single weekend um, or even weeknights, I was in a car going somewhere. Whereas now that's definitely changed. Um, Instat has made life a lot easier. Um, I'd say, you know, before, if it was like 80% seeing in live and 20% seeing video, now it's almost completely flip-flopped. Like we definitely, there is still something to, to watch in someone live and, and getting out to see them. But, um, within that, like I said, it allows us to reach kids in different places. And, um, you know, like we just committed a kid from Alberta the other day you know, uh, to get out to see him play live is, was very, you know, it, it really didn't happen like maybe once. And so to have the resources to, to be able to, to see him play every single shift of every game, um, you know, helps. But in terms of, of who we're looking for and what we're looking for, I mean, it's, I think Oswego has always been uh, a, just guys that compete, um, guys that bring it every single day. Uh, as you know, our practices are, um, you know, very challenging. They've they've changed a bit uh, since our time. Eddie's starting to soften up, but um, you know that compete level is a, a non-negotiable. Um, yeah, I don't think you you have the success that our programs had, or, or you're not winning any kind of championships without it. Um, but the one big thing I would say, I guess, in the last two three years, um, is speed. I just think the way college hockey is going. Um, I you know watching the Final Four both division one, division three, it's like the teams that can get up and down the ice uh, as quick as possible are the ones that that tend to have a lot of success. And I think, you know, Ed always says it, 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 you're always adjusting and adapting. Like I know he said, 
you know, when we were playing, um, you know, they tried to have teams that competed, but just with the highest amount of skills and ability and, and hockey IQ. And, and maybe that's why we'd come up a little short in the finals. If you'd run into some of the teams from out West that were bigger and, and just stronger. And so then they kind of shifted recruiting towards getting a little bigger and stronger. And, and, uh, with that sacrifice, some of the speed and skill, uh, and so I think uh, for us, that's what we're trying to get back to is to find, um, you know, guys that I don't care. We don't care about size. I mean, the best kid in our league right now, two of the best kids in our league, one on Jenny, one on Buff State, or I don't know, the one might be five foot five. The other one might be five foot eight, but they can absolutely fly and they have elite, elite hockey sense and skill. And, and that's what we're trying to to find guys that have that and guys that, that want to compete, right? Cause I just think, you know, uh, each and every day, it's so important that, that you're bringing that fight and that, uh, that determination to, to work. So, um, those would probably be the two biggest or three biggest things, just the compete level speed. And then, and then just your, your hockey IQ understanding of the game. I'll have to keep an eye on those uh, those two guys for the future in Europe because that's obviously you know, oh, Europe, yeah. Europe bigger ice uh, again no, size isn't isn't the thing really over here either. It's who yeah. can skate and think at that high speed, right? And, and that's the thing. Like it, it's so strange. The other thing I noticed too is just like some guys, you you know, I think for whatever reason my game was tailored towards college hockey, and then maybe not so much professionally. But we've had the other guys who. Maybe they were just average to above average college hockey players, and then they get into pro. And you know, they're you know, we've got a kid right now down in Adirondack. He's played you know thirty five, thirty six games and point a game. Uh, whereas at our level, he was he was good, but he was never you know. I don't know if we would have saw that coming from him. And so, um, but yeah, the the European game uh, with the way you know some of the players at, at our level and, and Division One. Um, the speed and skill uh, would definitely be a benefit over there. For sure. And just a testament to the D3 uh, level again, there's a guy playing in my league. Uh, he just resigned again on Bad Nauheim, Tim Kaufman. And I believe yeah. like he was, he was before I went to Utica. Like Utica, I came to you yeah. guys. He was at Utica, but he played a long time in Swiss B, making really good money and has, you know, had a long career coming from D3. Yeah. So there's many guys. Uh, Different paths, no, but they all get there. We're seeing, I think we're seeing a lot of guys. I mean, each team, you know, I think we've got, we've got a guy over in Glasgow right now uh, playing the EIHL. We've got, you know, four guys, I think, in the East Coast, a bunch of guys, obviously, in the Southern Pro, but, um, you know, so we've had other guys over in, in France and, and Germany and so forth. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely D3 is producing, I think, a lot of good players. Uh, leagues all over the world 100 agree um a couple more questions here i think two or three yeah so first i would say when you look back on your on your 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 playing career and now into your into the coaching side of it um do you think you like when you look back to being a young kid do you think you would have had the the route you you had or the kind of career you had <laughs> Um, no, I, I would say no. I mean, I guess it's just, I always laugh, you know, sometimes when I'm just sitting in the rink by myself, like, 
where am I right now? I'm not like Oswego, New York. Like who knew, um, you know, a, a kid from Barry, Huntsville, Ontario, like how would, why am I here? Right. And it's just for whatever reason, it, it where I was meant to be. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I think my, my past been a lot of fun. I've met so many good people, um, through you know, minor hockey, junior hockey college, and then even, you know, just the one year pro and now coaching, um, just the relationships are everything to me. And, and, um, so lucky to, I guess, have, have bounced around to, a, a you know, handful of different places to, to meet so many good people and, and to be coached by different people. And, uh, just have those relationships that, you know, have continued and, and I hope to have for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, so we go to New York, who knows it has a gravitational <laughs> pull that it does, yeah. but, uh, I, to be honest, playing there and, uh, I can understand why it's a team. That's just a community that's around, always around the team and always supported them. So I, I totally yeah. can see why you stuck around and you guys have done a tremendous job there. Looking ahead, so let's say in five years from now, like where where does John Whitelaw see himself? <laughs> well, that one's always tough, but I mean, I I'm in a very good place right now, um, just with with my life, with uh, you know, family. Um, that I I love where I'm at, and you know, I'd love you know, ultimately my my dream would be to one day be head coach of of Oswego, where I'm at. Um, if that happens, I'll be, you know, very grateful for that. But if it doesn't, I'm sure it'll be for, for whatever reason. And I'll have been somewhere else. I'll, I'll be doing what I'm supposed to do. I think life has a funny way of, of putting you where you're supposed to be. And, um, you know, right now for, for whatever reason, it feels like I'm in the right spot. And, uh, no, I, I'd love to, uh, to coach at Oswego. I mean, it's, the opportunities to to go elsewhere to maybe try to look to division one or or you know different uh, you know opportunities like that certainly every year it, it's it's attractive I, I have a lot of friends now that i've met through coaching that um you if neat you get to follow their path and, and where they're going and what they're doing but um for me i just i think i'm in a really good place i, I and I wouldn't want to leave it just because, like you said, us we go um, with the support from our our school and the community, and and I think having uh, an Italian wife who can't live more than five minutes away from from her grandmother and mother, uh, I don't think we're moving anytime too soon. So um, no, just lucky to be able to to be at such a good spot, um, and, and we'll see where it takes me. Oh, and I think there's an important uh, kind of advice or lesson there because a lot of people, realistically, everyone has done it. I did it in my life. You're you're enjoying where you are right now. You're fortunate to be where you are. You've obviously moved up from being a graduate student to, to being assistant coach at Oswego, somewhere where you played. Obviously, your wife is happy there. You're in a good spot, both hockey-wise and family-wise. And a lot of people sometimes are thinking too far in the future yeah about what's next what's the next step how do i get here instead of enjoying the moment where they are i mean i know i've been guilty of it i'm sure many people have but i'm happy to to hear you know you obviously you have ambitions uh, who doesn't but at the same time it's it's not uh, a negative or, or a downgrade being where you are you're enjoying where you are learning lots every day and that's uh 
That's great. Oh, to and hear. That's, you just said it. I mean, like if I wasn't, if I wasn't still learning each day, then maybe I'd view things differently. But, um, you know, do I think I could be a head coach today? Sure. But do I think there's still a lot that I can learn before I get to being a head coach? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that's just part of my process. And I keep telling myself that every day that, hey, you know, it, when things happen, they happen for a reason. And, and all you can do is just make the most of everything you're doing right now. And um, I have an absolute blast, uh, you know, going to work each day and, and working with the people. We have, honestly, the one of the best staffs I've ever been a part of with, with Ed. And we have a, um, a volunteer assistant, Bobby Chattel, who's a close friend of mine. Uh, we drive together every single day. We have a great grad assistant. And Connor Tierney, we have Mike Gray, who you know is uh, a volunteer. We have Elise, our trainer. It's just, I've, I'm lucky. I'm surrounded by good people, so you know, I, I have no intentions of leaving that. So that's awesome. And uh, yeah, my last question, I, uh, as uh, you've listened to a pod, so you would know, I ask everybody this. Um, you kind of just gave some, to be quite honest, but. Uh, if you were to be able to kind of look back and talk to your younger self again at whatever age it is, 15, 16, 18, 20, doesn't matter. Like what is one piece of advice or multiple pieces of advice you might give your younger self and to maybe anyone, you know, in those ages right now that might be listening that have aspirations of playing college hockey or coaching one day? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think just finding a place where you fit finding a place i don't want to say that's comfortable because i think you do want to be a little uncomfortable because that's how you learn that's how you get better but um just finding somewhere where you're surrounded with good people that you know and you can feel that you're you're getting better you're learning something something uh or you're working towards you know maybe a goal of yours but um no it's just i i think uh like you kind of said it already don't always be chasing that next thing i think just enjoy where you are and and um make the most of that and um you know even if it's a situation that maybe isn't good for you how can you find something good in it right like and i always reflect back to uh you know my time in in morzine where things maybe weren't going how i had hoped and it's like okay well how can i learn from this well i'm playing for a, a coach that is different from someone that i've ever played from and what can i take away from him and i'm playing in a role that i've never played in before you know being the guy who had always played kind of power player top six and now you're on the third line and you're not really playing any special teams how can this help me in in my future and and i think you know, having that viewpoint and that outlook and, and to spin those have helped because now as a coach, um, you know, I can relate to guys that are, you know, maybe in and out of the lineup or not in the role they want or, you know, things like that. And I just think because you you have that approach that, you know, every situation you can learn something from and, and uh, you know, I think it's on you to kind of figure out what that might be. but. Uh, no, just lifelong learner and, and surround yourself with, with good people. That's that's how I've been able to have uh, success and great experiences everywhere I've gone. I think that's, uh, I mean, kind of said it better, you know, surrounding yourself with people, good people, people you can learn from and, and obviously, you know, trying to 
see a positive in every situation. I think that sometimes is, you know, kind of forgotten upon by some people or they, you know, they see the glass half empty instead of the glass half full kind of thing. But, uh, no, uh, John Whitey, I appreciate you, uh, you taking the time and and sharing your story and sharing your, your advice and influence to, to everyone listening. And, uh, it was great to catch up with you, man. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I think you're doing a great thing here. Uh, I think you're doing it for the right reasons and glad to get on with it. Uh, love to be, help you out anytime, uh, any way I can. And, um, like I said, it's just, this is, I think the cool thing is, is being able to catch up, uh, with, with guys that you played with. And, uh, no, it was a good, uh, good way to spend my morning, uh, coffee. So thank you. No problem. And thanks again. And for those listening, uh, until next time, juice and chill.